Hello and welcome to Let's Hear Your Story. I am your host, Brenda McCullers. No matter how simple or complicated it is, your story is meant to be told and can help introduce others to Jesus. In this podcast, you will hear true stories of what God is doing within the lives of different people. Some of their stories are personal journeys to becoming a Christian. Others are stories of how God has shown up in their lives. Are you ready to listen? Let's get started. I am so thrilled today to have Hillary Hickam join me. Hillary is a veterinarian and also an actress. Many people know her as the Hollywood celebrity vet. And when she isn't working with animals, you will find Hillary at one of the local Jacksonville theaters or filming a TV show or a movie on location. Welcome, Hillary. Thank you so much for having me, Brenda. This is really exciting. I'm so excited to have you here. So Hillary is going to be sharing with us today about how she was introduced to a, and I don't know what the name of the specific missionary group that you were working with, but it is a group that works with veterinarians and goes into areas to help with the animals. And she's going to be talking about how she was introduced to that mission work and how she got involved with it. So I guess a little bit of backstory is I was extremely blessed as a child to have a mother who put me in church every Sunday and woke us up regardless of whether we wanted to go, my brother and I, and we were in church and I was surrounded by lots of really wonderful Christian people. Like her friends were lovely. I grew up in an, I don't want to say a nice neighborhood, but I just mean it was a communal neighborhood in uh, North Dallas and people just worked together. I guess I never had the option of considering that I wasn't a Christian. So it's hard when I want to tell people a testimony because it wasn't an, a lightning bolt for me. It was the culmination of the way I was brought up. I think, of course, I still went through questioning moments in my life, but I never really grew that far away from Jesus, but I've certainly learned about my deficiencies as a Christian, as I got older and I had more study and I've certainly grown in that area a lot. But I think that what I didn't know was that there was going to be a way for me to bring my, my Christianity or my, my spirituality to my career. My first career was being an actor And I got to say, it's sort of an area that's a little devoid of God, wonderful people. And I loved to meet them and, but not a lot of opportunity to talk about God or minister because they're a lot of those people's minds are very closed to that. So, which was still, I think it's a, you know, a fabulous community of people. I absolutely adore my actor friends and my director and producer friends. But when I decided to go on to veterinary school, now, again, I'm surrounded by minds that really don't question and aren't extremely open to anything other than science and what they can see and what they have studied and what they know. So again, I wasn't sure, hmm, not really sure where my life with Jesus fits into this either. Well, my third year of vet school, I went to, we had to go off and do multiple weeks with dairy farmers and equine vets. And this particular 
two week period, I was up in Tulare, California, um, which is dairy, dairy farmer land. And a lot of what you do as a dairy farmer is ride around in a truck all day long. And I met this man, his name was Fred Workham. And I think he must've just tapped into something I said, or just maybe recognize something in me. But finally, one day, the two of us were alone in his truck traveling from farm to farm. And, and he said, hey, have you ever considered going on a mission trip? And I was like, what? <laughs> and he said, well, I work, with a, I work with a group called Christian Veterinary Missions. And we go into underserved areas all around the world and, you know, act as veterinarians in whatever capacity they might need. It doesn't have to be cows or horses or dogs or cats. It might be a chicken or a pig, but we go into these areas and we have the opportunity to talk about Jesus while we're working on the animals. And I was like, well, tell me more. And he, he um, had gone to Mongolia multiple times. And so he told me some absolutely gut-wrenching stories very inspirational and also somewhat frightening. And I was so transfixed by his stories. And I said that that's up my alley. I had already historically been a traveler. I went to, I did part of my college overseas. And so that had really opened up the world to me anyway. I loved to travel and wasn't something I wanted to give up. So the first opportunity I had came, so I had met him I guess in the fall of 2006 and something like that. And in, oh, I might be getting my dates wrong, but at any rate, around January of 2007, I had the opportunity to my first one to go to Honduras with some professors in my college. They selected two of us to go with them to do some research. And I was so excited to be selected. And we went and this was sleeping on the ground with gigantic millipedes and no electricity and no running water and down, I mean, in the middle of a jungle, hours and hours away from the airport where we flew in. And each day, a different village would come and get us because they had heard we were in the area. And so they would just come, like, maybe they would send a pickup truck or maybe they would send a motorcycle or maybe they would send a burrow <laughs> or one day they sent horses and we would just sit outside, wait till somebody showed up. And then we'd get on this mode of transportation and go to these uh, remote villages. And a couple things happened on that trip. Now on this particular trip, it was not sanctioned by the Christian veterinary mission. And I felt a little constricted as far as being able to talk about what I wanted to talk about, but I certainly believe that you can minister to people without, speaking about the Bible, right? And being there to help them anyway is part of it. But there were two things that happened on that trip. Well, three that were completely life-changing for me and made me realize that I would be doing this the rest of my life, no matter what I had to, that working in a veterinary office wasn't enough or, you know, taking in the dog down the street wasn't enough. And the first thing was that this little boy, he must've been nine years old, would follow us for, we were there for, we were there for a little over a week in this village with no electricity and no running water, no, no showers. And this little boy would be at our, 
I don't even want to say tent because it wasn't even that much, but he would be at our little place where we stayed at night at 530 in the morning and he would just sit there and wait for us. And he would just follow us all day, no matter where we went. And he never, we couldn't speak to him really. One of the doctors could sort of speak English, but for the most part, I mean, I mean, speak Spanish, but for the most part, we couldn't really communicate with him, but he would do anything, no matter what was going on. He would follow us all day long. And if he could see a need, whether one of the cows was too big for us to manage, or he needed to communicate with a farmer, he would just be there and do it. And he always wanted to carry our things for us, whatever it was, but that, that was, his, he wanted to wear our backpack. I, I was really touched by this little boy because he wasn't getting anything in return. It was just, he felt like I need to do that. Like, that's what I want to do. I, I'm going to be there. And so I can't even remember his name, which is kind of tragic, but one day, two things happened with that little boy. One day we were crossing a Creek really, and in not a very safe capacity, but um, there was a second boy with us that day. And as he crossed, one of his flip-flops came off. And when I say flip-flop, I mean like the ones like you might buy at the dollar store, like a flip-flop. But everybody on the banks of that river, including this little boy, dove into, and it was a fast flowing river, dove into the river to catch this flip-flop. I mean, life-risking waters <laughs> roaring. And they, I mean, everybody was all in it together. Some people ran downstream and ready to catch this flip-flop. It was just mind-blowing. In our world, a flip-flop that floats away is just a flip-flop that floats away. But for these people, for that kid, he, I mean, he wouldn't have shoes for the next two years if he lost that flip-flop, right? And the entire village jumped in to save this boy's shoe that blew my mind we all just kind of stood there speechless the second thing that happened was so that was the first time when I, I I saw everybody loving each other a community that loved each other and helped each other regardless of social status or anything else I mean, there wasn't any everybody's on one evil level playing field there and the second thing that happened about that was we, we had finished up a really, really, really hard day, long and hot at the top of a mountain, taking care of this man's cows and a sunburned pig and a couple of horses. And there were so many cows, like we almost didn't even have enough of our pesticides and vaccinations that day because he had so many. And there was just Dr. Texas, Dr. Barr, Lisa and I, the two students. And so it was just the four of us and our little boy who did everything. But we had worked really, really, really hard. And at the end of the day, the owner of the of this farm village had said, you know, had motioned, can we wait? Can we wait? And he had disappeared and we didn't know where he went. Well, fast forward, finally he shows up and he has a gallon of or a two-gallon jug of Pepsi. And we came to find out that he had walked all the way down the mountain, which was about three or four miles and collected coins from all of his community. Like as he went down, he collected coins from everyone he knew and they all donated and chipped in. And he went down to the bottom of the mountain to buy us a bottle of Pepsi because he knew that we couldn't drink the water and he had nothing to offer us. And he hiked the four miles back and poured us out a cup of Pepsi each. 
and it was the it was the the most generous gesture that I had ever received and it again touched me that these are people that are all about each other he didn't have anything and he didn't even have the money to get us something but his neighbors knew that a kindness had been done to him and they pitched in and we drank Pepsi together and it was the best Pepsi I've ever had in my life so that was the other thing that I realized wow I mean, we live in the most unbelievably privileged society and I want to be that neighbor right like it taught me about how, how we need to be to each other so they were showing us how to be Jesus right so it was incredible and that's it, when, when, when I left that trip, even though there hadn't been a lot of mission work done on it, that was when I, I knew, wow, that's what I'm going to be doing. And so as soon as I graduated from vet school, I started with Christian veterinary missions. My first trip was to Vietnam and that was um, helping teach other veterinarians, other professors, really. We were teaching the veterinarians about, and then having, then they would teach their students, which was really cool. And then I've been to Africa like five times on mission trips, all different countries. And I've been to Costa Rica a few times. That was with a, a division of Christian veterinary missions, a very small division. They've actually set up a little area in Abuelita, which I can't remember the big city that that's near oh, in Costa Rica, my mind. And so I've gone there a couple of times with them. Not, we not only do veterinary work there during the days, but in the evenings, we invite all the women and children well, we do. And then the guys go out to the neighborhood and meet with the men and we all have Bible study and sing together, which is incredible. And thankfully, a lot of those people do speak Spanish. I'm embarrassed that I don't yet, but someday I will. Um, but that is a, a, a very hands-on mission work in the sense that we're talking about Jesus all day long and we get to do, you know, have stories with the children. And then in Africa, those are how my experience with those people have been people that are so hungry to talk about Jesus. And they often know way more than I do. I mean, they're just so filled with the spirit, but they don't, I should say no more. I mean, they're more, uh, they're more um, enlightened maybe, but maybe they don't know as much about the, the actual Bible stories. They just, they're so on fire for Jesus. And one time we were in Zambia and they had told us at the end of one of our work days, we'll pick you up for church tomorrow. We're like, okay, that's all we knew. <laughs> we didn't know what time or where to be or what we were looking for. But anyway, so we were all like, well, we better get up at like six just to be ready. <laughs> so we're standing out seven, eight, nine, 10 o'clock goes by <laughs> and finally here come these two young men walking up the road um and they're like oh we're we're here to take you to church and we're like okay let's go so we walk and walk and walk i mean probably an hour and a half it took us to walk to the church which we got to and was in full already full-fledged church in africa is very different than what you and i experienced because we arrived after an hour and a half walk, <laughs> exhausted and hot, and we sat in church for another six hours. <laughs> church is an all-day event full of dancing and singing and different people standing up and giving their testimonies, often in um, languages we didn't understand. But And then you walk home again at night. Like, <laughs> 
it was church. It was Sunday. It was, this is what you do all day. Oh, and people bring in food in the middle and people walk around and eat. It was just, it was incredible. I've had just completely different experiences in all different communities and countries, but more often than not, what I walk away with is these people are doing it right. They don't have all the distractions in our world. They're not worried about who's wearing what or what car anyone's driving, or they're worried about making sure that they have flip-flops to wear for an entire season and whether or not there's tiny amounts of food on the table and keeping their animals alive so that they have food and uh, a future. That's amazing. One thing that you said that, that resonated with me because I've experienced the same thing was I remember going on a mission trip and thinking, oh, I am going to help these people learn <laughs> about Christ. And little did I know, they learned nothing from me. I learned everything from them. Right. <laughs> it was all about what they could teach me. Yeah. Incredible, right? It just, yeah. it blows your mind <laughs> because they, they live it. They They're do. actually living it. I love the fact that they had church all day long. Oh yeah. And, and they also, um, during that particular church in the middle of nowhere, like what we weren't expecting it, they asked us to get up and speak. Would we please all get up and individually speak and pray? Okay. <laughs> I wasn't intimidated at all. I don't think there was any translator, but some, sometimes they speak in English. I think this was, they were speaking Swahili where I was this particular time, but it's very fluid with them. They, they also slip into English and because that's a sign of pride for them. They're very proud that they speak English. So when they can, they'll throw it in, you know. Tell me a little bit more about the Christian Veterinarian Ministries. That organization sends out missionaries all over the world or do mm -hmm. they have specific places that they like to focus on? They, um, they do short-term missions and they do long-term missions. I've only done short-term missions with them, but one of the girls that I became very close friends with in Vietnam has joined up with them and now is a missionary in Bolivia. So she is now on a full-on long-term mission out there in Bolivia. And in fact, I had a ticket and a visa and plans to go. And I was, uh, couldn't wait, actually. It was the end of 2019. And it actually was not COVID related. Instead, it turned out it would have been COVID related, but instead they had an election and massive rioting and nobody could get in and out of the airport. So I didn't get to go and work with her, but I plan to in the future because she and I have been to Africa a few times together. We've been to Costa Rica together. So we ended up very much trying to coordinate our short-term mission trips to work together. But they, Christian Veterinary Mission, sends short-term missionaries to Mongolia, all over Africa, many South American countries. They actually do work with some um, Native American tribes here in the U.S., but apparently those, those trips are really hard to go on, so I haven't done those. But they'll, you never know where they're going to have a need. Oh, India. They do a lot of spots in India, and they'll kind of send out for people that have gone before, this is what we're looking at doing. Do you have an interest? Can you go? Can you serve? And certainly they want, I mean, they're always looking for people to get the bug and 
go on a long-term mission. When I went to Uganda, we met up with one of their long-term missionaries there. And she, cause she works with a very specific tribe. She's like completely moved into that. Uh, it's called Kangala, I think is what it's called. And so that was very much a, she was having us come in and branch out into other, other tribes. And sometimes we'll go in and teach, which I always really love. We'll go in first, like when we went to not Zambia, but in Uganda and Ghana, we went into the veterinary school and taught for a week. And then those students and us, we would go with the students back to their villages and work with them, helping taking care of the personal village animals and stuff, which was really cool. Very fun for them. I think it's It's an organization that has been working with a larger umbrella organization whose name I've completely forgotten, but you might know it. But I recently, I just got an email from them this month that they are now branching off and they will be an independent organization just focused on veterinary missions. I think that the umbrella organization was a whole bunch of kinds of missionaries, but now they're going to be just focused on veterinary missions. That's exciting. I love that they're doing that. And what a unique way to get into countries to be able to share Christ because animals are their livelihood. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, one of the things that I loved doing for some of the, on a smaller level scale was just putting a collar around a dog or putting a leash on a dog and showing these people oh, we value these as pets. Like we had a little boy who, I mean, most for them, the dogs are the dregs of society. Those are rats and they, nobody can afford to feed a dog, right? Like it's not, it's not evil. It's just, we're trying to feed ourselves. What, who has a pet? Like, that's crazy. We feed ourselves, we feed our livestock, we feed our chickens so we can get food, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like I have seen a difference because I've revisited Zambia and now people put collars on their dogs and that's like a sign of wealth for them. It's a sign of, I, I care. Right. And now people will kind of sometimes let their dogs come inside. It's really, to me, that is just a tiny little um, nugget that I've tried to take to different cultures just, and you can't press it on them. You know, you can't force that, but you can just model that behavior of, oh, I love this dog. Oh, I want to play with this dog. Oh, I want to feed this dog, you know? <laughs> so just baby steps, but. Such a difference in the different cultures. Like we would never even think of that. Wouldn't but... occur to us not to feed the dog. No, <laughs> no. Or to let them come inside if it's at my house. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. What do you mean your dog doesn't come inside? Yeah. <laughs> so how, how did you know that you were where you needed to be? I think the the moment the man brought us the Pepsi bottle, I, I just, I'd never been so touched by an action in my life. And I realized we had made such a difference in his world with one day of work, you know, one day, but we had, we had helped him so much. And I think there was, there have been certain times in Africa where I just felt you could, you, the gratitude, it, it, that's how you know. Like all of a sudden, people are so grateful and so 
I feel like they're changed, even though I'm not, not through anything I've done, just that I think it's a pay it forward type situation where, you know, you're doing a kindness and then they're doing a kindness and then they're doing a kindness. And so it was definitely in Honduras when I saw the chasing of the flip-flop and the gift of the Pepsi that these were the kind of people I should be around. (laughs) I didn't need to be around the people driving fancy cars. Not that there's anything wrong with that or, you know, trying to one up the Joneses. I needed to, for my own personal soul, I needed to be around the people who could just barely afford flip-flops and that I, that's where I could make a difference because I don't have a lot. I don't have fancy biblical knowledge, but I do have the ability to help the animals, which in turns help the people. And then I can talk so we can sit down and have a chat about Jesus, you know, and who knows who's going to walk away with the more information, the more knowledge. It's probably going to be me that gets the knowledge out of the conversation, but it's so exciting to, to spread those seeds. And I truly believe a lot of those students that we teach in the classroom go back to their villages and, and have this in their heart that they're not just going to be veterinarians. They're going to be, you know, they're going to be talking about Jesus and making sure everyone in their village knows Christ, which is awesome. I love that. What an exciting way to see Jesus at work. You know, sure. so many times here in the United States, mm-hmm. because we're so blessed with so many things, we just take things for granted. We don't even think about it. And, and especially the way that they treat each other. That's amazing. When we think about sometimes we don't even want to talk to the neighbors. You, you, let's just pull in the driveway, pull in the garage and close the door. Close right. the blinds. <laughs> right. Not these people. I mean, their community is everything. It's just so moving. I, one day I do recall also that we, this was my very first time in Africa. They took us to spend a day in, well, I guess we ended up having a couple days there, but initially it was just going to be a day in one of the orphanages. And most of these orphans are children of parents who died of AIDS, whether they were already infected before or during. And I mean, talk about children who just need someone to sit with them. Like that's, they, they want to, they just want to eat in front of you. They, they will do anything for your attention. They're so starved and not because the orphanage isn't doing the best they can. I mean, these, these are nice people running these orphanages, but they are overrun with children and it was amazing to, we would be like, oh, well, we'll go before they would serve food because we didn't want them to think they needed to feed us. Right. So we would, we were always told, make sure you leave before lunch, but the children would cry. They wanted someone to sit with them while they ate. We'd already read to them and drawn pictures with them and, you know, read little Bible stories, but they, it was so interesting to me. They just wanted a person to sit with them while they ate. And that really struck me too. You know, and now that image comes to my brain when I like walk through Mayo and there's that whole cafeteria of lonely people sitting by themselves, right? That's one of the times that God has spoken to me and said, you're supposed to go in and pray with those people. And I guess maybe there's some innate human quality that maybe I don't have it, but people want companionship when they eat. And so we changed our tune and we would go and sit with the children while they ate, you know, and they were so excited. 
that just changed their world. And what, what a small little thing that you would never think about. Right. Never thought of that. You know, that's a pretty interesting concept too, to have a ministry that just goes and sits in the cafeteria at a, at a hospital. Yeah. Just to go yeah. and talk to the people or listen, really listen yes. to the people. I had such a strong calling from God one time. I mean, and I don't get those. I don't ever talk about God spoke to me. I've just not been, I don't think that I've been lucky enough to have that happen, but there was a time when I was at Mayo walking past the cafeteria and God said, you need to go in there and sit and pray. Cause that's not some, that thought wouldn't have just come to me out of the blue, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so I just walked up to someone and said, hi, can I sit with you? This was long before COVID of course. And, oh, well, you know, can I pray with you? Cause you don't know if it's that person that's sick or maybe they're just there visiting someone or, you know, waiting for someone to get out of surgery or whatever. Yeah. I think it is a great ministry. That, oh, that could that. be a great ministry right there. How easy would that be just to it's go? Not hard. You just show up at Mayo and just go to the cafeteria. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That gives us a lot to think about. <laughs> right. We have a job. <laughs> I know. Yes. Yes. I loved listening to your story today that was so interesting and it's just it's nice to be able to hear someone talk about the changes that mission work makes on us i always remember coming back on the plane from those places and thinking to myself you're not gonna get sucked back into the world this time this time it's gonna be different <laughs> this time you're not going to care about the clothes in your closet or the shoes on your feet. This time is going to be different, but inevitably I know it's terrible. As I talk to you on my iPad <laughs> in my nice house, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. a different world. And I don't think you or I, or, you know, close friends of ours live in ways that are excessive, but the poorest of the poor in our city have more than these people. Yeah. you know? And that's really hard to wrap your head around. It is. It is hard because it, uh, compared to some of those places, everyone who lives here are the super wealthy. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. But I mean, to be fair, I also have to say that none of those people are wishing for things they don't have. Yeah. And that's the biggest message that you take away. They're very, very content. And very happy. Very <laughs> happy. Mm -hmm. Very happy. That's the same takeaway that I've taken too. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? It is. It is. It gives us a lot to think about. I know. And to strive for. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing today. I've loved it. And I love to listen to your stories. Oh, thanks for having me. Was, I love sharing my stories. It was a blessing. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Let's Hear Your Story. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please share it with your friends and subscribe, write, and review. If you have any questions, please reach out to me at brenmcullers at yahoo.com.